here tonight that, uh, well, maybe you've never heard, well, I guarantee you probably have never heard it shared this way, but I want to share with you uh, my, I don't know, maybe I'm just getting a little bit bolder in my older age, share with you what my heart really believes. As I look at his scripture, as I look at what he has said, as I look at the years that I've, I've dealt through so, well, let me just get it, because when we talk about covenant, to me, that's huge. And um, we're going to be publishing here, not publishing, but putting out a study on the covenants, the old and the new, and covenants that were made from uh, the beginning of Genesis all the way through the end book of Revelations and, and where that sets and how that works. But that that's already done. It just needs to be printed up and put out there. So along with the other books that we're putting, whether it's booklets or whatever, they're basically for teaching. That's all they're, that's really what they're for. We don't charge anybody anything. Um, so if you want to donate towards uh, <laughs> funding the copier, that's fine. But, uh, you know, we're not doing anything, and we invite you to share that with whoever, whatever. But when we talk about covenant uh, above everything else, covenant means union. It means the coming together of two parties to make a functional one. And, 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 and in the making of the old human covenants, you'll notice, if, if you do research on that, that the parties took each other's names to indicate that they were united as one. You see that in marriage still today. But in the new covenant, we don't just merely take his name but his spirit actually joins us to him and we are made truly one. Scripture in 1 Corinthians says this, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Could you make it any plainer than that? He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now, let, let, me, let me say this. The, the miracle of the new birth by which we pass from the death of sin into the eternal life of the covenant, it is to be understood as our being actually joined to Christ. I, I think that's a huge foundation for believers to understand. We have passed from the death of sin into eternal life of the covenants. And, and that's to be understood as being actually joined to Christ. See, union with Christ is, 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 it's not to be thought of as an advanced mystical experience, higher life that's reserved for or, or the elite or, 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 or the common experience. I mean, we're supposed to understand what it means to be united to him, each one of us knowing that reality as the body of believers. To become a Christian is to enter into Christ and to partake of his life and be his vehicle of living on earth. It's, it's Christ. On, see, it, this is seen, I believe, clearly in Jesus' parable of the lost sheep that's recorded back in Luke 14. In, in order to find the lost sheep, you remember the sheep went into the wilderness uh, and, and, and the shepherd then would go into the wilderness and he would literally follow the same path as the sheep had gone in, 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 in 
journey away from the shepherd. So the shepherd enters into the wilderness where the sheep was, and what the shepherd's doing is participating in its lost condition without being lost. Does that make sense? In order for the shepherd to get where the sheep is at, or he has to enter into that lostness, into that condition of the sheep without being lost himself. So he, he, came, he comes to where the, the, the sheep is and he unites the sheep to himself, wrapping it around, you know, the picture of it around his neck. So what he's doing, though, is he's participating in what the, the sheep is actually doing is, is participating in his life and strength. So in other words, the, the sheep isn't on its own anymore. It's totally relying upon the shepherd. Now, I say that because the union of the shepherd was the sheep's salvation. It was the sheep's way out of the wilderness. So Jesus is God coming to where we are, joining us in our lost condition without being lost himself. Taking to himself our death, and, and carrying us out in his resurrection. <laughs> we, 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 we now must be united to him to partake of his life and his strength and be taken into intimate fellowship with him and be where he is. He, he, he merited the covenant as and for us. God does not give us the blessing of the new covenant as, as isolated individuals that are selected for our worthiness, how well we've done, what we've done. Uh, uh, you know, nowhere does the scripture say that the blessing or the promise of the covenant is given to Pastor Beck based on his merits. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I'm thinking the same thing. Boy, that, that, forget it, you know. But, but Jesus, our representative man, merited all the blessings of the covenant by his obedience. He was not earning them for himself. He, he didn't need them. Hello? I mean, he was earning them for us and for each of us. Therefore, every blessing is given to him. And we receive them because we are in him. We have been made, remember it, joint heirs with him. And so we receive all the benefits of the covenant as him. Remember what Romans says? If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That is so much. So, how do we enter the covenant? Hmm? I mean, all has been done and as, as, as and for us in Christ. He's our representative man. So how do we become involved in the covenant, the commitments, and the covenant promise that he has earned for us? Peter quoted from the prophet Joel, if you remember this back in Joel 2.32, uh, on entering the covenant, it says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Bible times, the name of a person was understood to be a window into that 
one's true person. Who, you know, it was about who you were and, 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 and your accomplishments. The name of the Lord is an expression that means the revelation God has given us of who he is and what he's done. The gospel is the good news concerning who God is and what he has done in Christ. So to call on the name of the Lord means to invoke the revelation, asking him to be to us who he has declared he is. He has revealed himself in the Lord Jesus as the God of love, the covenant-making one. And I, I mean, all that we can do, all that we can do is call on that revelation. God achieved the covenant, period. We didn't, we didn't have anything to do with it. it. There's nothing we could have done with it except break it. But the end result is he achieved the covenant, and our only action is to receive it in grateful faith. All we can do is respond to the initiative of God's love and believe on his covenant oath. But the revelation of God comes with the inevitable relation or revelation of who we are. That's the kicker. Our response to the good news of the covenant in itself is a response to our realizing our condition. Uh, look, we, we, we call on his name because we have come to see that we are in need of the covenant and we are dead without him, period. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. If we have no sense of being lost, eh, then we have no excitement that Jesus is the way out of our our, our wilderness. He also said that he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If we don't see ourselves as sinners, we don't have an interest in the mission of Jesus, and we don't see ourselves as a part of it. His promise of total forgiveness are only of interest to those who know that they have sinned and are in need of divine forgiveness. A promise of forgiveness is basically no interest to the person who has no consciousness of sin. You know, the reality that he would write his law on our hearts is of no interest to people who are unacquainted with their own helplessness to, to love God and to walk in love with other people. The heart of the covenant calls us to union with him. And unless we desire that kind of a relationship, at least to some degree, we will find the, the prospect pretty much boring, you know, and dismiss the, the offer of covenant relationship. And we'll do it with a yawn, probably. Ah, okay, fine, whatever. But it is unnatural got to remember this, it is unnatural for humankind to want that. Men, men love darkness. They love the darkness of the lie rather than the exposing light that is in God. And, and, and we would stay in darkness hiding from that burning light of truth until we basically would perish 
if we're left to ourselves. The awareness of our, our need and that, that, that first flickering desire to know God is awakened in our heart by the call of God that's reaching in our darkness. That's the kicker. Now, he comes to us in the dead ends of life as we face the chaos of our lives apart from him. That's called crisis mode. And how many of us came to Christ out of crisis? He comes to us in the futility of, of, of false religion that leaves us you know, pretty much empty, lifeless. He calls to us when, when death seems very near. His voice is interpreted to us as, as longings, yearnings after the nameless God, or, or even longings after that which we cannot define with, with certain words. It's just not there. It is God who initiates the covenant, and it is he who, as the shepherd, calls into our wilderness as he did to Adam. Remember what he said? Where are you? Our first awareness of a, of a need for God is actually our awakened desire to respond to God, who calls us to himself. If we follow that light, we will be led to him who is the way, the truth, and the life, and the covenant. You see, the gospel is not only the information about the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. In proclaiming the gospel, Jesus, alive, glorified, actually comes to us and confronts us with his love by the Holy Spirit. The news of who he is and what he has done is also the presence of the one by the Spirit. It all takes place by, it, it, see, in that announcement, what he does is he opens our eyes. We, we, we have a confrontation, you might say, a, a meeting with, with the living Jesus. I think it's best said that the preachers of the New Testament did not see themselves as talking about Jesus, but proclaiming him, the living one, actually present with them in their words. Take a look at some scripture. It says in Acts 8, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. In verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached, preached Jesus to him. Look at verse 18 of Romans. It says, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum that I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. First Corinthians says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then look at 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. It says, 
And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, in response to the proclaiming of the gospel, whether, whether in church, in an auditorium, or even in a one-to-one -one kind of conversation, the listener actually meets with Jesus. The love of God incarnates, resurrected, ascended, who has accomplished our salvation. And in the proclaiming of the gospel, the power of God is dynamically present and brings salvation. Romans 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It is this power resident in the living Jesus who comes to the lost in the preaching of the gospel. And that, that terrifies Satan, the God of this world, if you would. He works continually to blind the mind of unbelievers, lest in Jesus, the, the word of God, they, they would know the light of God's glory and the calling forth to be united to his death and resurrection. Look, look at 2 Corinthians. It says, whose minds the God of this age have blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservant for Jesus' sake. For it is, the, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ or of Jesus Christ. Look, in, in Jesus' coming to us, in the words of the gospel, we meet with the love of God reaching out to embrace us. The light of God revealing what he has done for us. In the gospel, he brings to us the news that we have been included into him. That he is the way out of, of, of that stated death that we've been in. Out from under the condemnation of the law. In, in him, what we do is we meet with the oath and that faithfulness of God that we've been talking about, the, the covenant that's now been established. We're, we're not, please hear me, we're not signing up to submit to a list of rules, but entering into the relationship with the triune God in Christ Jesus. To accept the gospel is to accept him submitting to him as the only truth. Look, in doing so, we renounce all our attempts to find meaning to life, recognizing them, you know, pretty much as pretty pathetic. They're basically just counterfeits to be turned from for what they truly are, because all they are really is, is, is rebellion, sinful rebellion that, that sought to find the meaning of life independently of God. Look, throughout the rest of our Christian life, 
We're going to grow in the knowledge of the divine love, of who Jesus is and, and what he has done. When we first meet him and submit to him, we know very little of what we are doing. Amen? And, and we are giving all we know of ourselves to all we know of him. And in some cases, that's more impressioned than it is learned. Look, faith does not believe about Jesus. It does not simply believe that something is true. The devil believes in that fashion, friend. Faith is trust. Believing on rather than a believing in or about. That's what it is. It is the commitment to obey and bring our lives into conformity to the newly discovered truth. To, to submit to Jesus in the gospel demands that we turn away from all the all we, we, we used to falsely believe to be the meaning and way of life. The word that describes this, this aspect of the gospel is the word repentance, which means to radically, a, a radical change of mind. It is, the, it is, in that sense, the realization that all of one's life has been wrong because it has been lived from the wrong center. That's what I love when Peter talks about to gird up the loins of your mind. Get ready to rethink what you thought before. I, I want you to hear this. this. This It is not repenting of a certain sin, but a change of mind about oneself, realizing that, 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 that we're lost and we don't know the way to life. It, it's, it's a definite act in which we turn from what we thought was life and now recognize it as death. The real issue now is, is in fact, it's, it, I mean, this is my blow your mind, is not sin. The Jesus who comes to us in the gospel has dealt with sin. It's a done deal. That's over. The issue now is whether we will accept the divine amnesty that he has for us and let him send away our sin from us and be reconciled to God. Will we turn from our self-sufficiency and submit to love? We are confronted with the love of God and the action of his love in Jesus. And the whole issue now is whether we will turn from our independence, our faith in the lie, and submit to the love of God and his gift of covenant in Jesus. A couple years ago, we as a family took a trip to Michigan, and and Melissa and Matt and their family came. I mean, we just we do that, you know, at least once a year as a family. We just go on vacation. Well, on this particular trip, I don't know why we went to Michigan, but we went to Michigan. God, it might. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> God wasn't leading us. Let's just put it that way. But. But anyway, so we reserved a, a house that was on Lake Superior there, or Lake Michigan, whatever it is, Lake Erie. Anyways, on the lake. So it wasn't Lake Erie. But so we travel up, and we're traveling and traveling and traveling, and we finally get to the address 
And I knew what the place looked like, and I was seeing pictures and all this stuff. And we get there, and we pull in. This place is no way. So we called, called the, the guy, the, the realtor, and uh, he told us where the key was. And I said, well, there's nothing here that even looks remotely like that to find a key of. So I walked up to the house. I'm looking around, and, and nothing, man. It's just this is nothing compared to what we were supposed to be having. And so eventually one thing leads to another. And he suddenly realizes that he's given us the wrong address. And we've just gone 45 minutes north of where we were supposed to be. Have you ever, you know, known what it is to be at the wrong place at the wrong time? And your stomach just sinks. Oh, man. So, I mean, it was, it was one of those interesting times. So we make our way back down eventually. And just, it was, it was, it was tough. Because we're trying to get there. We're tired we're all exhausted. Kids in the car, say no more. And, and you know, I'm at, a, I'm at a stop sign getting ready to make a turn, and, and, and next thing I know, boom, into the back end. That was Matt probably, by the way. He, he's the one that hit me. And, I mean, it's just another one. Oh, man, what else is going to go wrong? So we, we get to the house that's on the lake, and as we're there, you know, it, 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 I, they, there's two houses together, and there's cars all over the place. I'm thinking, wow, there's a lot of people at that house next door. And so I go in, and I, I, hear, I hear noise. You know, the door was open. So I walk into the bottom, the basement area there, and, and I can hear, you know, sounds upstairs, like TV or radio or whatever. And, and I'm walking around, and, and, and I go, hello, somebody up there? hear a voice go, who's that? And I go, who's that? And he, again, the, the voice says, who's that? And I said, I'm the guy that has this place rented this week. Who are you? I'm the guy that owns this place. Ah, the realtor not only gave us the wrong direction, they didn't bother checking the schedule well, it's just a mess. So here we are. We're tired. But, you know, you just, you just, at that point, you just want oh, everything, you know. You know what I mean to be, when I, when I talk about that sickening feeling? Repentance is the sickening realization that we are wrong because we are going in the wrong direction. With a wrong definition of life with a wrong image of who we are in the distorted image of God, not knowing him as love. Gospel is the announcement that we can change location. Oh, yes, we can. We can come back to Ohio, praise God. We can abandon the way of the lie and receive forgiveness, be reconciled to God, and be made his child, or we can commit the ultimate sin, which is to refuse the covenant and to entrench ourselves in our sin. And it drives me crazy when I see believers who, who know his grace, but embrace the lie instead and entrench their lives in trying to do things on their own. Then the emphasis of Repentance is not so much our turning from sin, though that is obviously there. 
but, but rather our turning to Jesus. Son of God, in whom are the covenant and our salvation. To refuse him is to perish. And that's where a lot of believers live. And instead of growing and growing, they, they continue to decline and go further down. John, John 3 says this, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Ooh. Now understand what everlasting life is. That's not an eternal extension of days, right? That's life as God has it. It's Zoe. It's God kind of life. He who believes in the Son, it's just like Jesus said, well, no life and life more abundantly. But he who does not believe in the Son, in other words, in that dependency that I've got to do all this and now I've got to do all that, you know, shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him because God has to deal with what? Sin. And the wages of sin is what? And you just don't get there overnight, friend. Oh, I'll take you on a path with James sometimes and, 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 and show you how he spells it out, how, how it happens, how it develops, how it grows. But when it becomes fully grown, then. But the one act, that one act will be established and confirmed, whatever it might be for the rest of our lives, as we continually discover the futility of life that's lived independently of God, as, as, as we continue to behold the love of God, we, we see with this increasing clarity from glory to glory to glory, uh, you know, uh, uh, of, his, of his beauty. But what we see as well is the horror and corruption of sin and, and, and live a life of turning from it instead of living in it. That, that which has blinded us, that which has kept us incapacitated. Well, let's be real. Repentance is, is like a big ship that's at sea making a turn to take a different course. It, it doesn't make a U-turn like a car does, does it? Look, repentance, the changing of our life course, it is a decision of a moment that will take a long time to work out. Please be at peace with that. Repentance is always joined to faith. Faith is the helpless submission of my total self to the news of the action of God's love in Christ Jesus. To, to the extent of my understanding, I say yes to the news that he has included us in the covenant through the journey of Jesus through the death and the resurrection as and again for us. Faith that helplessly submits to and rests in Jesus, who he is and what he has done, is, is alien, really, to the man or the woman who believes that one must be independent and self-sufficient. We who have been part of the world system, married to that lie, find it so hard to say yes to faith, to the oath of God. And the only response to life that we have ever really known is to the rule that a person gets what he or she deserves. 
covenant confronts us with the God who loves us unconditionally and rewards us not according to what we have done, but according to what Jesus has done. And to believe this, friend, is, is really the first radical change of mind that believing the gospel is demanding of us. In the New Testament, this act of repentance and faith in the person and work of Christ always came to focus in baptism. The, 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 the you know, like, let's call it dipping, not drowning, <laughs> of a person in the water, or in some cases even pouring it on them, invoking the name of the Trinity. Now, many have a hard time with what I'm about to share, and I'm going to say that as a preface to what I'm about to get into, but I'm going to ask you to bear with me and see that baptism was unquestionably part of the salvation process in the New Testament. How many know that when you come to Christ, from there on out, it's a process? All right? So Jesus included it into his instructions to the disciples regarding the content of their message when he sent them into the world. Look at Matthew. It says in chapter 28, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now take a look at Mark. It says in Mark, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. That's an interesting statement. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, bear with me, because some of you are going to freak out at some, some of the statements, but you need to hear what I'm, I'm putting together for you to understand something that we haven't understood. You know, the apostles understood that baptism was the act where repentance and faith came to focus. The command to be baptized is contained in the very first call to receive the gospel. And, and, and be, being baptized designated as Christian those who receive the message into their hearts. I'm going to be giving you a lot of scripture here. So, you know, I don't, I, I don't like saying stuff and not backing it up with scripture, right? So, Acts chapter 2 says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. A lot of people have built a theology on those verses, too. So let's be careful. Then those who gladly received his word, Acts chapter 2, 41, continuing on, his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. Okay. Like the apostles in Jerusalem then, if you go on, Philip counted his converts as those who were baptized. It says in, in chapter 8, and when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were what? Baptized. In Philip's presentation of the gospel to the Ethiopian, he must have pretty much given him a similar you know, appeal as, as Peter had on the day of Pentecost, where 
you know, when they saw the water, the man asked to be baptized. Look at chapter 8 of Acts. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, when Peter, if you remember, went to the house of Cornelius, I, I want to be, be in a situation like this someday myself, but the Holy Spirit fell on the people while he's talking to them. Now, it would seem that Peter was somewhat a little thrown out for balance. They had received the Spirit before they got baptized. But he quickly commanded baptism to have them properly, I'll call it, initiated into Christ. Look at Acts 10. It says, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Now, this basically would suggest that baptism was given a place of great importance in the infant church. With everyone in the house filled with the Spirit and praising God, you might think that, you know, the subject of baptism could be, you know, left for another day. But obviously it could not wait. And Peter commanded that it take place at once. Now, in Philippi, Paul and Silas, if you remember, had been cruelly beaten, their limbs twisted, locked in the stocks, an earthquake that, that brought their release and was followed then by preaching and preaching the gospel to an entire household in the middle of the night, resulting in their conversion of Christ. Now, you would think that that would be enough for a night's work, right? But Paul did not call closure to the night until they had all been baptized. Look at, look at chapter 16, it says, of Acts. It says, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all of his family were baptized. Something going on here, wouldn't you say? I, I have wanted to take this amount of time to show that baptism was not an afterthought to the early church. It wasn't something that just took place once or twice a year. It was the rite of initiation into the new covenant. If you remember correctly, circumcision was the rite of initiation into the old covenant. And baptism answers to that in the new covenant. Take a look at Colossians chapter 2. It says, in him we in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespass. I like what the Amplified Bible renders there in verse 12. It says, thus you were circumcised when you were buried with him in your baptism. Remember what the Amplified does. It takes all those Hebrew words, every meaning of them, and it brings them together. It elongates what it's saying. 
Message Bible, uh, which is a paraphrase, it's, it paraphrases this verse, but it puts it really pretty plainly. It's a, it says, if it's an initiation ritual you've, you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. Faith, friend, cannot be merely a matter of the mind. There is much that, that we hold as true in our minds, but we never commit to ourselves. I mean, we never commit ourselves to, I should say. Each one of us is, is, is more than a mind. And faith must include the whole person. Faith may include intense feelings, but it is far more than feelings. It's possible to have overwhelming feelings while we're in an emotional charged meeting at a, at a service and, and the next morning to, listen, to, to basically live as if nothing ever happened. Faith is the moving of one's whole person to rest in Christ and what he has accomplished for us. And that must be a movement of spirit, mind, emotion, and body. Our glory as humans made in his image is that we are spirits united to and functioning in and through the dust of the earth. We're more than invisible spirits. Our faith and obedience need expression that is more than just basically mental and verbal. The first couple, by, you know, they, they fell by a, a physical act of eating the forbidden, the, from the, I want to say fruit, but tree. Although the sin was an act of the spirit, it wasn't complete until the whole human was involved in a physical act. Faith must have a physical expression or the mental transaction of the feeling of the moment. Truth, the modern Christian recognizes this, but I find it strangely has avoided baptism and substituted other physical actions to express faith in Christ. Uh, to accept Christ, you know, we, we, we ask people to raise their hand. To, to walk down to the front of the church or even to look up into the face of some evangelist that's, that's been whipping them to death or something. But, but these actions can be the attempt to involve our physical bodies in our faith. Why not just simply do as Jesus commanded? Why invent new and, and in some cases strange ways? But again, these, these various substitutes for baptism what they do is they emphasize the human acceptance of salvation. Raising the hand and, 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 and like responses place the whole emphasis on the human decision to accept what, what God has done. And it's kind of giving a, a vote of confidence in Jesus and his salvation. But the thing is, it can become a, a, a rather strange way or strange means of saying to God and my fellow servants, I've accepted him as well, you know. You know, it's what I did. It's what I did. And I'll have to keep doing what I'm doing in order to do and keep doing. And, but in baptizing, 
or I should say in baptism, we're passive. It is something that we submit to. It is a right that is done to us by another. It is the dynamic action of the faith by which we are helplessly presenting ourselves to the Holy Spirit for God acceptance through the cross and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know, it doesn't take much, but even a, a quick reading of the New Testament shows that, that the early church, you know, baptism was a lot more than the symbol by which one announced to God that, you know, that, that we're, we've been accepted by Christ. Something happens in baptism, friend. It, it is a symbol, but a, but a symbol by which the Spirit actually conveys to us what the rite symbolizes. Baptism is where the Spirit lays hold of us and declares that we are included into the covenant and joined to Christ. He is, you know what he's saying? In, in baptism, he's saying, this one is mine. This, this is mine. This one's mine. The New Testament speaks of baptism both as an act that's performed in water and also as the work of the Spirit connecting the believer to the work of Christ. We come to baptism as to the doorway into the death of Christ that by the action of the Spirit we can rise joined to the living Christ. Now, notice the wording of the verse that we discussed. It says there in Colossians 12, uh, Colossians chapter 2, it says, By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism was the event in which the convert releases faith in the working of God and experienced resurrection with Christ. And it's further stated here in Romans chapter 6. Look, it says, Or do you not know that as many as of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Paul testified uh, about Ananias, how he ministered to him after his meeting with Jesus on the Damascus Road. And he says so with these words. Notice verse 16 of chapter 22 in Acts. And now why are you waiting? <laughs> I see that to my wife all the time. Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, this can be a big stumble. We know that water cannot wash away sin. Okay? Then, then what did Ananias mean by the phrase, be baptized and wash away your sins? There, there's nothing magic in water. Hello? Especially if it's Ravenna City water. Without faith and the work of the Spirit, nothing's accomplished. Except maybe an unnecessary bath. But for faith, baptism is the physical doorway to the covenant through which we walk in the power of the Spirit. All that's happening physically in baptism 
is also happening through the Spirit at the deepest levels of our being. You've often heard me refer to water baptism as a funeral, right? And a resurrection time. It's, let, me, let me try and paraphrase it like this. If I was getting baptized, what I'm saying is I'm saying goodbye. I am leaving the world that all of us know for real life in Jesus. You'll see me around and, 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 and we will talk and I hope I will continue to be your friend. But, let, but, but the me that you have known has died. And in a few moments we'll be buried. The person you'll be talking to is somebody who has risen from the dead. And for the first time in my life is really As we come out of the waters of baptism, the Father announces to us, surely it's just like he did with Jesus. He announces to us, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The spirit that came upon him comes upon us as we enter the family of God. The spirit comes and he folds us into the arms of God's love. We become partakers of God's life, his, his everlasting life. The divine life is added by grace to our humanity. We are reborn, and our lives begin again on a totally different plane. Look, we, we are moved out of the domain, excuse me, of the lie and the darkness to be at home in the new creation founded on the new covenant in Jesus. Let's read this scripture in Colossians. It says, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. What, 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 what about the person who's not been baptized? And I, <laughs> I know it can sound like what I've been saying, but I want you to get into the actual understanding of the sense because I believe the scripture is plain that the spirit energized, you know, right at the stand of, of the beginning of our salvation. I mean, in all honesty, uh, here's what I'm saying. For example, some people might be saying, well, you know, is the person saved if they're not baptized? And you know what I want to tell you on stuff like that? Questions like that turn the grace of God into law. Okay, this is not about law. I'm trying to get you to understand what baptism is all about. Salvation and grace is an entirely different thing. God, my point is, it's a pointless question, and in my book, it's a question that the Pharisees would have loved. God commands it. So do it and stop discussing how many angels can stand on the head of a pen or something. I don't know. But, but baptism is the Holy Spirit working out the mystery of joining you to Christ. It is, it, it, it is not your making an adequate act of faith that will make something happen. Understand today that the, 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 the mystery of the covenant, that you are in 
Christ and that he is in you. If you do, then give thanks to God that he took you and said, this one's mine. Bottom line, friend, our, our whole salvation depends on him, period. It's not what we do or don't do. You know, it's, it's not based on our clear understanding. Otherwise, none of us would be saved, would we? <laughs> we do not pass exams in the laws of electricity to enjoy switching off and on a light switch, right? And we do not need to know how he does it to know that we are in Christ and he is in us. All I can tell you is my spirit bears witness with his spirit that I am a child of God. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for speaking to us leading us, guiding us. I, I just, I pray, Lord, that we may see more and more and more and not just glide over, not just take for granted, not just live with tradition and customs, not live with emptiness, not live with futileness, futility of what we try to make happen or take place. God, to understand what it means to live in this covenant, what you've done, you've provided to live in that faith to live in that realm to live in that peace i pray that you will guide direct lord mm, to give us revelation of our lord and savior jesus christ again lord just open the eyes of our understanding fill us with the knowledge of your word speak i pray to our hearts and our lives be gracious Can you say amen? All right. How many are getting baptized this Sunday? I got two. I got two. Yes. Somebody give God praise. How, how, many, how many would like me to just throw some water on you? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> the word of God has escaped church in so many ways we've settled for portions of scripture rather than understanding his word as instructed to us by the holy spirit therefore we have missed so much struggled so long and we've produced so little i want to go back to the days that when we share Christ and God says good and we baptize that would you think having 20 people up here to baptize takes a long time try 3,000 <laughs> I can't even imagine but you know what I'm talking about the heart of God it's time for people to die and they were raised again in Jesus name would you stand with me Lord, bless them, keep them, strengthen them, enlighten them. Be with them in their coming ins and their going outs. Let your countenance, your smile, and your face be upon them. Be gracious to them and give them peace. Let your name be all over them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.
hey, these altars are open. If you want to find a place of prayer, greet one another, love each other as you leave this place. Remember, uh, next week will be our last Wednesday uh, prior to Thanksgiving. So there's no Wednesday service before Thanksgiving. And the week after that is also, uh, we're doing something different that night. We're having a welcome celebration. We're not really advertising because it's kind of like an invitation thing. But we're going to be celebrating. Uh, we've got a lot of new people that have decided to attend the house. And so we're sending out invitations. We're doing emails. We're having a special dinner for them that night in which we're going to welcome them, love on them, and just uh, take all their money. That's yeah, basically what we're going to do. So God bless you. We'll be talking to you more about things coming up. Love one another, encourage each other. I can't wait to get to next week. I've got some things I so want to share with you. God bless you guys.